Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We are continuing our series this weekend entitled First Love Again. And since I had so much fun with last week's message, a totally different format than what we're used to, uh, we're going to continue it this week because it, this is the 30th year anniversary of me giving my life to Christ. And the two most important things over the last 30 years uh, in my walk with Jesus have been the Word of God and time with God. And so we're going to talk about prayer today. And the title of the message is Love to Pray. But like last week, there is a very long subtitle. For those of you who weren't here last week, you can go back and watch last week. But the subtitle to this message is 13 Things I've Learned from 30 Years of Intimate Communication with the Creator and King of the Universe. How about that for a subtitle? It's nice and wordy, isn't it? I'm going to try and cram in just over a half of an hour as many of the things that I feel the Lord sweetly taught me about probably one of my favorite things to do on this earth. As I've gotten older, I've come to the understanding that by the time many years from now, Lord willing, if Jesus hasn't come back, by the time I go to be with the Lord and I have a tombstone, uh, I don't really want it to say he was a great husband. I don't want it to say he was a great daddy. I don't want it to say he was a great pastor. I don't want it to say he was a great preacher. I really hope that I'm able to say, and more importantly, that God is able to say of me. He is just a man of prayer. That's all he was. He was just a man of prayer. A.W. Tozer said once, my goal by the time I die is to be known by God as the man who loved him more than anyone else in my generation. Sometimes I think A.W. Tozer is my long lost blood relative. And if you haven't read him much lately, you should. But so that we can start on the same page, I want to give you kind of a, it's not a complete definition, but it's just the little boy in me, his definition of what prayer means to me. Intimate, relational interaction with God. Intimate, relational interaction with God. So let's jump into the first of 13. Just I'm going to fire these off as quickly as I can. Point number one, the best prayer times start by understanding how God is initiating them or starting them. Psalm 27 verse 8, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me or come away with me. Some translations say, Jesus in Mark 6, 31 said to the disciples, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. And he was talking about with him. I think some of us think negatively about prayer all too often. And, and part of the reason is because we think that God has a certain vibe if we're not praying, that he's waiting on us. And there's this just kind of, when are you coming in? When are you coming in? I, 
I really, in 30 years of trying to spend time alone communicating intimately with him, I don't think that's what he's doing. I've told you before, and I've tried to illustrate it. I, I think it's something more like this. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come on, come be with me. It happened to me this morning. I got into my truck, and I was driving down here, and, and we've built a prayer room back in my office that's like one of my dreams, and it's a closet that's like 40 square feet. And one of my mentors from London was in town yesterday, and he came in, and he said, oh, mate, do you not get claustrophobic? And I said, my eyes are closed most of the time. I don't, I don't even care. But I was driving down this morning, and I, I haven't felt this in a long time. I, I just felt like a giddy child. I just felt the Lord wooing me going, come on, come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Get down there, get down there to the point that I even, I'm not blaming him, but I ran, I'll call it a long yellow. <laughs> I was the last one to make the light. And I said out loud, I was like, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. But I just felt this wooing. What would it change about your time alone with the Lord if you got out of your head? And let your head and heart be filled with what's actually happening. Come away with me. And here's the response, the rest of verse 8 in Psalm 27. And my heart responds, I'm hurrying up, I'm coming. I'm coming to be with you. Just give me a minute. But I can't wait to be with you. Because it's dawning on me how badly you want to be alone with me. Do you know how much easier it is to pray when you get a revelation of how excited he is to spend time in prayer with you? Here's point number two. Living in a way which pleases him is the best way to start off your time of prayer. I've learned this the hard way. Proverbs 15 verse 8, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. Just get the picture. It's like he giggles. I'm not being disrespectful, I assure you. Please hear my heart. I, I'm not trying to dethrone God. One of my favorite things about him is he sits on that throne. He is high and lifted up. He, he is beneath none, beside none. He is above all. I, please hear my heart. I'm just trying to give you the little boy's perspective of his God. After the last 30 years of trying to walk together, he delights in the prayers of the upright. How many times have you started your time of prayer with the Lord when things were off a little bit? When you did something wrong, you know it was wrong, but you really don't want to face it. One of the things I've learned in pastoral ministry over the last 22 years, I actually think the reason so many Christians don't pray consistently isn't because they don't have enough time or they don't believe it works. I actually think it's the little boy or little girl in them that knows something is off and they don't want to walk in and see a disappointed look on his face. And so they keep their distance. I've learned the hard way. I don't like when our time has to start not just with confession but with correction. I oftentimes, almost always, I try to start my time alone with the Lord with confession. Because how does date night go with my wife if I've done something wrong, she saw it, she knows it, but I refuse to address it. <coughs> Let me just tell you how date night goes. It don't go well. She sits there and it's like, 
You good, bro? You gonna address this? So I've learned after 20 years of marriage, okay, I probably need to address this in the car before we even get to the restaurant. I confess I was wrong. At the same time, in prayer, I, I typically try and start with confession, but I hate when our time together starts with correction. Number one, because it usually takes a while. When I walk in and he kind of has that, this thing. Hey, we need to talk about this. And the little boy is like, I know, I know. I tried to forgive, but man, it really hurt. I know. But son, you were wrong. And it caused you to sin. And this needs to be made right. Okay, so I've learned. At this stage of the game, and I know I'm not perfect, and I know none of us are, but I want to do my best to live a holy life if for no other reason so that I could have moments like this morning where he's not saying, hey, bro, we got to talk about something. But he's saying, come on, come on, come on. Get here. I'm not telling you I'm perfect, but I have learned when we live in such a way that it pleases him, it is one of the best ways to start our time alone with him. Here's point number three. There is never, ever a bad time to pray. Ever. I I get asked this question fairly consistently as it relates to prayer. Preston, when is the best time to pray? Like, am I supposed to pray first thing in the morning? Is it all throughout the day? Is it at night before I go to bed? Is it before every meal? When is the best time to pray? And here's what I would say. There is never a bad time to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying praying. Here's why. Because God is never too busy to hear your prayer. Never, ever stop praying. Here's the picture I got years ago. Uh, He used me sitting in a board meeting. And years ago, I told my kids, if you text me during a meeting, I'll respond. Unless it's some silly, stupid thing. But if you need me, if, if it's just, hey, daddy, what's for dinner? Probably not going to respond to that. But if you need me and you call me, call me twice in a meeting, I'll jump out of the meeting every time. In other words, you have a measure of access to me. Nobody else in the room does. I remember when the Lord taught me, this is how he is with us. Preston, I want you to imagine. People think that I'm just so busy and so they, they, they're it just, can, is it okay now to pray? Is God's probably busy, he can't hear my prayer. Preston, here's the picture I want you to see. I want you to imagine that I am sitting with a divine council in the middle of a divine board meeting and you hit me up on the bat phone. I want you to know this is what it's like. Number one, son, I don't leave the room because I don't get up off my throne. I ask everybody else in the room to please be dismissed. And then it goes something like this. Hey, Press. How's one of my favorite little boys in all the earth? What's going on? Here's the one-liner. I'm I'm trying to attach this to if you like the one-liners. God gives you an open invitation to interrupt all of his meetings at any time, every time. There's just never a bad time to pray. 
Another way to say it, his responsibilities are not more important to him than his relationship with you. Here's number four. He 100% has a favorite time to hear you pray. Okay, so there's never a bad time to pray, but there's absolutely, I believe, a favorite time that he has in his heart for you to pray. It's first thing in the morning. Psalm 139, verse 18, David says he gets a revelation of God's presence. And I would, and dare I say, he got a revelation of God's obsession for him. And he said, and God, when I wake up every morning, there you are every morning. And I just want you to get the picture. Because God loves for the first words out of my mouth to be directed to him. Not because it's religious, but because it's one of his favorite things. Get the picture. Just imagine the Holy Spirit being there, watching over me, standing over me. And then you got a couple of silly little demonic minions. And the minions are watching going, what's the first thing he's going to do? And what if they're, they're placing bets? I bet he's going to check his email first thing. I bet he's going to roll over and snuggle with Holly first thing. And I open my eyes. And the first thing I do, say good morning. I love you so much. And wherever you go today, I just want to be. Will you be with me? Will you help me? I don't have to spend two hours first thing. But God loves it when the first words out of your mouth are directed towards him. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to have intimate fellowship with God. And remember, King David said at the end of his life to Solomon, get to know the God of your forefathers intimately. You don't have to be a theological genius to have intimate fellowship with God. It's things like this. Just the first couple words out of your mouth, the beginning of your day, belong to him and are directed to him. Here's number five. He 100% has favorite things to hear you say. I believe that there are some favorite things that you say that are, that are really God's favorites. I remember when he gave me this revelation, Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise. And the one-liner years ago, one time alone with him, he said, Preston, thank yous are great, but I love yous are better. I love it when you come into my presence, and I, I love when you tell me thank you for all that I've done, but son, to elicit a thank you from you, I had to do something. To get praise from you, to get I love yous from you, I just have to be something. And I love it when you come into my presence and just say, I love you, and here's why. Enter his gates with thanks. But you want to go into the secret place? Just walk in telling him how much you love him. Give him all the reasons why. I promise you'll feel like he grants you a measure of access you've never experienced before. Here's number six. There is no wrong place to pray. It's like there's no wrong time to pray. There's no wrong place to pray. 
Psalm 139, verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Here is the awesome one-liner he let me have this week. There is nowhere I can go where God is not. Anywhere I am, I can talk. Anywhere he is, we can talk. And if he is everywhere, then there is nowhere where we cannot talk. I used to, I remember, you know, as, as a young pastor, you do so many stupid things. And I remember when I was a, a young adults pastor, I was probably almost 30, and you just think you know everything. You know, you probably weren't like this, but I definitely was. From about 16 to 28, 29, I actually thought I knew everything and was a hundred times smarter than everybody else. And I remember in a message one time, strongly judging people who have their quiet time in the car on the way to work. And here's what's funny. I actually didn't even hear the Lord correct me after the message. That's how you know I was off. I mean, I literally said, you you need to have a place. I got really strong. Having your quiet time in the car. You know what I've learned since then? There isn't a place he doesn't enjoy having alone time with me and you. And if it's in the truck on the way here, it's awesome. If it's in between meetings, it's awesome. Don't tell anyone. If it's in the middle of an elders meeting where I get a little bit distracted, he loves that too. When we talk in the middle of the meeting, there's no wrong place to pray. But here's number seven. He 100% has, has a favorite place to pray. There's no wrong place, just like there's no wrong time. But I believe there is a most favorite place. If you have a Bible, you can flip to my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, Matthew 6. We're going to spend these next couple of points in two verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself. I'm convinced two things. He loves it when we sneak away from everybody else. Now, don't tell anyone, but it's, I'm probably a little bit too excited about having my prayer room back there. And I actually stayed back there until I had to walk out on the stage instead of coming out for worship, which doesn't always happen. Usually have one of the three services at a minimum, I'm, I'm worshiping with the Lord. But it's been a, a pretty exciting week this week crazy, some awesome things uh, in pastoral ministry appointments, and I needed my tank to be filled up. Sometimes worship is that way, but sometimes when I'm alone, we can go a lot further faster. My tank just gets filled up to overflowing. And so I was back there, and, and I think there are times he likes when we, when we sneak away. But then there's something else I'm convinced of. I'm convinced when we dedicate a special place to do nothing but pray, I think it's his love language. I don't know if you have a place that, that in your home, I, I don't know where, where the only thing you do is pray. When we moved into our house up here in Scottsdale, I remember when we moved in, he, he claimed a room. Like, you know how kids move into the house and they're like, that's my room. And you're like, no, that's the master bedroom. 
That's my room. You know, young kids think every room is theirs, right? They're calling their room, this is my room, oh, this is my room, this is my room. I legitimately felt like the Lord said, this is my room right here. And Preston, this is going to be our most special place. And here's what that means. I don't want you working in this room. I don't want you doing any counseling appointments, ministry meetings. I don't want you answering emails. I don't even want you on the phone. Here's why. Because this is our special space. And I don't want anybody else involved in it. Here's the problem. A couple years ago, uh, we fostered a six-month-old for a year. And the first two nights, uh, he, he was in a, a bit of a rough spot when we stepped in to help. And the first two nights, uh, he, in my opinion, it, it, was, it was terror. He, he, was, he was experiencing some pretty heavy stuff. And after the second night and my wife looked like a zombie, she said, what, what should we do? I said, well, this might sound silly, but I think we should let him sleep in my office. I said, baby, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of hours I've spent alone in the presence of the Lord. If he's experiencing something that's dark and difficult, let's just put him in the brightest room in the house. A six-month-old, gorgeous little baby went into that room and slept like a champ that night and for the next 11 months. And I lost my room. It became the baby's room. And then after Maxon moved out and went back home to be with his mom, Riley moved into that room. My daughter, she was going through some stuff and she, she just moved right in there. And then Riley went off to college. Now guess who's in my, my old prayer room office? My boys both sleep in there. It's like every, the whole half of the house doesn't even get used. Everybody just sleeps in there. And, and a couple of months ago, I just felt the Lord say, hey, we were back here in my office. And, and he said, hey, we don't have our special place anymore. And you spend a lot of time with me in here, but you work in here. You meet in here. I want our special space. And so I went to the team and I said, we don't use this closet. We need a wall off the door, put a door inside my office. I get that it's like 45 square feet. To me, in my heart, it feels like 45,000 square feet. And I felt the Lord say, this room will be the most important room of the next 25 years of your life. Here, it's just you and me. Okay, please hear my heart. I don't do that because I'm a pastor. It just happens to be at the church because I got teenagers and those people think they own everything in my house. The point isn't where it is for me. The point is that I, as his little boy, we have a space. We were all meant to have a special space but the only thing we do is spend time alone with him. If you don't have a special space, don't feel judgment or condemnation. Just think about how old you are and how many more years you have to live. Think about how many thousands and thousands of hours you could have. 
in a special place alone with the God of the universe, the composer of the cosmos, the creator of the universe. Start now. Because I'm convinced he loves it when there's a special place where nothing else happens but that. Holy moments require a holy space. Holy means altogether separate or different. Altogether different moments require an altogether different space. Here's point number eight. Prayer is meant to be intimate. Keep going in verse six. But when you pray, Jesus says, go away by yourself and shut the door behind you. If you've been at this church for several years, you've probably heard me tell this illustration. Probably my favorite revelation the Lord's given me as it relates to prayer. So you might need to buckle up. It's going to test your maturity a little bit. But I remember one day I was having my time with him. And he said, Preston, what's, what's the last thing you hear me say before we begin our time together? I said, I don't know. And I feel like it's different things, different times. He said, mm. I said, okay, well, what is the last thing I hear you say? He said, what's the last thing you hear Holly say before the two of you go in to experience the most physically intimate act I've given you two to experience this on this earth together? And me being kind of sarcastically ornery, you know, I, I said, well, are, you, are you being literal? Because if you're being literal, the last thing she typically says with these young kids running around this house is, hey, babe, can you shut the door and lock it? Why? Because if you've had a six-year-old, you know that they have this divine knack to show up at the wrong time because they think your room is their room. And so it was a little bit of a silly moment, but then he just came right around and I didn't see it coming. He said, Preston, the reason she says, babe, can you shut the door? It's because she's letting you know what's about to happen on this side of the door is so special and so raw and so intimate that not even your flesh and blood can get in on it. It's just you and her. Preston, I say the exact same thing. As you walk into this room, I say, hey, can you shut that door for me? Because what's about to happen on this side of that door is so special and so intimate that I don't even want your flesh and blood to get in on it. It's just us. Prayer was meant to be intimate. Not just some religious exercise where we check a box. Here's number nine. Don't leave your time with him until you've said something to him you've never said before. One of the questions I get asked when I teach on intimacy in, in prayer is, well, how do I become more intimate? This is one of the fastest ways I learn to dial up my intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. I began to challenge myself every time we were alone together in prayer. I set a goal. I want to say something you've never heard me say before before I walk out of this time. It's hard. Because you start running out of things to say. I mean, how, how many different ways can you say the same thing? You're awesome. 
You're so powerful. I mean, how, how many different adjectives can you find to use to describe the same thing? Here's what I've learned. If your heart's wide open, you'll never run out of adjectives. You'll never run out of new things to say, even if it's trying to say the same old thing a different way. One of the questions I get asked is, how do you know your prayer time is over? Well, here's an answer I would give you just to ponder, and they'll put it up on the screen. I think a good time to know it's over is when we went all of the places where he wanted to go, we covered all of the places or things I needed to go, and I said something to him I've never said before. We went all the places he wanted to go. We covered all the places I needed to go. And then I said at least one thing to him I've never said before. Matthew 6, verse 7, Jesus says, When you pray, don't babble on and on, Preston. Like the Gentiles, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Here's what Jesus is saying. Love finds a new way to say the same old thing. <laughs> there are sometimes our, our time together in prayer has lasted longer because I needed more time to find something new to say. And then you walk out and it's like you, you went longer in, in time than you had before. And you're like, hey, hey, personal record today. Kind of made it a little bit further today. 12 of the minutes, I just spent trying to come up with a new way to say, I love you more than anyone or thing on this earth. Here's number 10. This is a hard one to admit. The more pride I've had, the less prayers I've prayed. The more pride I've had, the less prayers I've prayed. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Press an if. You will come humbly to me in prayer. One of the things I've noticed about me is when I am most proud, I pray less. And here's why. Pride says, I've got this. Whereas prayer says, God's got me. I don't know how many times in my flesh I've sent the message to him. I got this. I got this. And gone weeks without talking to him alone in prayer. Hearing his voice in a time of prayer. And I had no idea why. There was one period of time where I went nine months and I didn't hear him speak one time. And I was a full-time pastor. It's about three years into being a youth pastor. I told one of my friends about four months in, if this goes 30 more days, I've got to quit. I can't do this and not hear his voice. Five more months went by. Finally, we had to come to Jesus. We didn't, he did. And I came to Jesus. And he gave me three verses. They were all about pride. And at the end of his speech, I felt my knees just come out from underneath me. 
and I fell to my knees. And it was a turning point in my life. But I didn't understand the reason I was having trouble hearing and connecting. Because I was walking around every day like, I got this. Bro, you want the answers to life? Come ask me. I am 23 and I have them all. I am a GG genius. I remember one time I walked out onto the stage one time and literally said to the Lord, I've got this. And I literally felt him go like this. Okay then, have at it. You know why pride is so dangerous? Because it creates distance between us and God. Why? Just so in my insecurity I can act like I can do it on my own? You know what I've learned after 30 years walking with Jesus? I can't. You know what else I've learned? I don't want to. This is why I spend more time praying these days. Because I can't and I don't want to. I just want to be with you. I just want to do what you want. I just want you to be pleased, not because I'm afraid you won't be, but because I'm so obsessed with you. I just want to give you what you want today. So just tell me. Just tell me what you want. I'm not trying to earn your affection. I've already got it. I wake up every morning washed in the blood of Jesus. I know what my value is. I'm not trying to earn the smile on your face. But I do not hide behind the fact that I am trying to put one there. So will you just tell me? We have to humble ourselves. It's never worked well when I've tried to come to him in pride. Here's number 11. God does something supernatural in your heart when you pray for your enemies. Some of you wish you had gone to the bathroom during this point. I'm telling you one of the biggest things I've learned in prayer. When I started blessing my enemies, those I was most, fr most frustrated with, those I was most hurt by, when I started blessing my enemies in prayer, it was a game changer for me and my time in prayer. Matthew 5, 44, but I say, this is Jesus talking, love your enemies, love them, Preston. Pray for those who persecute you. This happened to me this morning. I, I came in from 8 to 8.30. I mean, we were dialed in. And then at about 8.26, he started dropping one-liners for the message. And I literally said, hey, hey, I, I'm trying to make it to 9 o'clock. Okay, and then I'll, I'll get to the message and I'll get it dialed in. But he starts dropping one-liners. So at 8.30, I was like, okay, I'm out. I, I, I'm going to go work on the message. I'm going to come back in once I'm done. And, and I did. I came back in two hours later. And I, I laid down in my spot in my prayer room. And, and it went nowhere. And I was totally distracted. Anybody ever been distracted in prayer? Yeah, I was totally distracted. And it took about two or three minutes. I said, Lord, we were dialed in. Like I was dialed in before. It, things were rolling. Now what's going on? And it just kind of sat for a second. And just minutes before, I had just written, God does supernatural things in your heart when you pray for your enemies. And I started laughing. And I said, you got to be kidding me. 
you want me to pray for them right now, don't you? And so I started praying and forgiving. And what do you know? It was like, So maybe we should all have more enemies. I don't know. I'm being a little bit silly, but I'm telling you, it's a principle I've seen work time and time again. Pray for those who've hurt you. Bless them. And I don't just mean heap burning coals on their head. I hear that one every once in a while. I'm just going to heap burning coals on their head. Okay. Uh, look, at, look at your face when you say that. I'm not sure that's godly. Okay. That's supposed to be a godly thing, not an ungodly thing. But maybe if you need a breakthrough in, in your time alone with the Lord, maybe it's personal and there needs to be some confession, or maybe it's relational and there needs to be some forgiveness and blessing. I am 100% convinced that the God of the universe loves it when you make things right which were wrong or are wrong with one of his children in your heart and you can bless them with all of your heart in prayer. Here's number 12. Prayer works the way he wants, not the way you want. James 5.16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer definitely works the way God wants. If the way you see prayer is like a Christmas list, I tell God what I need, he responds like Santa Claus and hooks me up with all of my requests. Okay, that's not how prayer works. I tried that for a couple of years. It never worked. But it does work. Prayer does work. One of the things I've learned is even when I'm praying out of his will or with a little bit of an impure motive or an unclean heart, he's doing something in my heart as I pray. And even if I don't get what I'm asking for, I believe while I'm praying, he's working something out in me so that he gets what he's desiring to get through me, out of me. And here's point number 13. Prayer is the ultimate spiritual force multiplier. I heard him whisper this today. I honestly had no idea what force multiplier even meant. I just heard the words. I don't even have time to explain it, but it's a hammer is a force multiplier. If you tried to hammer a nail with your hand, it's not going to work well. But with a hammer, it happens easily. Why? It's a force multiplier. Here's the fastest way to explain a spiritual force multiplier. Prayer gets more done spiritually with less effort physically. I can try and lead my children when we're in a, in a tough spot until my face is blue. But you know what I've learned? It's a lot more effective if I pray more than I talk. Because prayer is a spiritual force multiplier. Oh, I can, I can try and hammer that nail in with my hand, with my son. Or I can just go to my father and talk to him about my son and what needs to happen in me and what I need to hear so that I can steward my son the way my father wants. Here's what we're gonna do. 
to wrap this message up. We're going to walk it out. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.